Uh, good morning. Did I leave my clicker right there? I don't know where I did it. If anyone finds it, you win a prize. But um, good morning again. Uh, it, it can be fun to serve the Lord. See, you can have a big smile. Um, Trevor, you check in that prayer room for me. Um, they're looking for my clicker, so... Um, but uh, good morning to all of you, and if you're looking for a seat, uh, the ushers can help um, get everybody seated as much as we can. But uh, we had a great time at the Fall Festival. We are uh, just blessed with um, what God did that night, and thank you for Randy West for putting, the, putting it all together. Uh, that, was, that was a blessing, and um, looking forward to... Next year, so we've uh, we've had this I think about six or seven years now in a row, and the Lord's really blessed it each and every time. But before we get into our study this morning, I did want to uh, do a couple things. If you guys can put up the uh, uh, slide for veterans, we want to honor all of our veterans this morning. If you are currently on active duty, if you served in any of the armed forces or first responders, would you stand? We want to thank you for your service this morning, each and every one of you. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. And ladies, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, all of you, for serving and continuing to serve. Uh, that is a blessing. Um, yesterday, we had uh, just a beautiful fall morning. Uh, we had uh, the men ate good, they had a fire, they had food, uh, and then we, we talked about uh, being courageous and standing for the Lord and just had a good, good time in the Word and uh, looking forward to, uh, in the coming year, we've got a couple of men that are stepping up to take over the leadership of our men's ministry, taking that off of Pastor Trevor's shoulders. He's been kind of standing in the gap for quite some time, so he will no longer lead our men's ministry. We've got a team of men stepping up that are going to lead the men's ministry and another uh, smaller team that's going to lead the senior class, which is the older men, uh, those that are, I think it's over 60, but I, I crash at over 50 going there, but uh, I don't know exactly the age, uh, but uh, we've got both those groups kind of uh, taking on new leadership, and so, which is a real blessing. Um, they're trying to identify my clicker. And I, it, is, it has walked out of the building, and uh, so I'm going to have to trust the guys in the back because normally I kind of run with that thing. And um, I think it's probably in the prayer room somewhere in there. So if you're really good, I probably dropped it in there or something. Uh, we're on live, so anyone at home is watching this too right now. Um, it's not under your seat cushion at home or anything like that. I know it's here in the building somewhere. Uh, but I don't know where I misplaced it. Uh, I, I can misplace things. Anyone else ever misplaced things in life, uh, or is it, just, is it just me? Like I, and it's black, and it's about this big, so I have no idea. Once it falls into a crack or crevice, it could be under the pulpit here for all I know, but um, I'm getting distracted. All right, so uh, you might have noticed that when you were here last week, this wasn't here. Uh, we made a lot. Yeah, you like that? It looks really good. I had to build a... Um, uh, the gentleman that put it up there, he had to build a, uh, a wall. Uh, you can see the framing behind it because it, it, it is real stone. This is not paper mache. It's real stone. 
and so it's about this thick, but it, it, it's a lot of weight when you put it all together. So um, we were able to make a lot of progress in the last couple of weeks with the modulars. They got completely repainted. They used to be about six or seven shades of gray. Uh, now they're one shade of bright white. You might have to wear your sunglasses if you're too close to them, but, um, but they look really nice. And, and it, we're not done. We're going to have greenery put around the bottom of, the, of them, uh, which is going to be installed next week. And so you're going to see uh, we're about 70% done. And this was a big step of faith for us. We, we're, we're not loaded or anything like that. It was a big step of faith for us to do this. While we're bringing uh, Zach on to be our third pastor, he's still in India. He'll be back, uh, was it next week? Uh, I think something like that. And then um, we'll bring him on full-time in January. But to take both these steps of faith at the same time, uh, we believe God's got big plans in 2024 to see more people come to Jesus. Amen? Uh, and even before this year ends, I mean, we're going to really uh, do as much as we can to bring people in that have not heard the gospel during the holidays of uh, celebrating our Savior's birth. And so um, we just wanted to make it look as welcoming as possible. And in the book of Haggai, it talks about that the Lord's house sat in disrepair. And so we had repairs that we said, we're not going to put them off any longer. We're going to do them. We're going to get them done right. And then, uh, you know, little by little, we've been making progress. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your tithes and offerings to make it happen. And so um, hopefully it'll look a lot, lot better for the kids out there and visitors and all that, thing, all that good stuff. So uh, then I think uh, my only other thing I have here is um, before we pray for revival is this Wednesday uh, we'll be in the book of Joel, and so uh, I'll be back in that study, uh, as Tuan mentioned, the following Wednesday, there's no service, so you can baste your turkeys and drive and all that good stuff, uh, but this Wednesday we will have our services, uh, kids uh, ministry, and uh, those classes will be back on Wednesday. We had to cancel this past Wednesday because we had more paints of coat that needed to dry and all that good stuff, but uh, I think we're past all that, so this Wednesday we'll be in the book of Joel, and uh, with that, we're going to pray uh, for revival as we do every week. Um, as I told the men yesterday and uh, told the first service, um, I, I don't really, I don't care about labels. I don't care about political parties. Um, you know, if what, what I care about is what God says in his word. And uh, thus saith the Lord. I care what the scriptures say from Genesis to Revelation. Um, but we did have some elections uh, this past Tuesday and in Virginia and in Ohio and in Kentucky, uh, and this probably will persist across the country. Um, America collectively made a loud and clear statement that the sacred cow in our country is abortion. We're not giving it up. We're not budging from it. We're doubling down on it. Matter of fact, uh, basically in three states, we said, if you plan to be elected, you better be standing for the right to kill the unborn. Well, uh, God is the one that creates souls. If you're alive today, God created you. You didn't create yourself. Your parents didn't even create you. God created you. Uh, we are created in the image of God. And every baby has a soul. And uh, so we understand that uh, he formed, the, formed us in the innermost parts and he knit us together and Jesus and John the Baptist it said that they actually when they were inside their mothers they actually had this interaction inside the womb you, you understand that right that uh, the baby leapt 
And it doesn't say the fetus, by the way. It says the baby. As a matter of fact, nobody ever comes up to someone and says, hey, when's your fetus due? No one ever says this. <laughs> ever. Ever. They said, when's the baby due? So, uh, you know, it was sad. I saw one lady. She was so happy she had on her shirt, I've had 21 abortions. And, uh, and people just like fall on their knees and hands raised as if it was worship that they had won elections based on not taking away the right to abortion. And so um, now we've had people come here that have God has done amazing work, that they've had abortions and God has done a restorative work in their life. So we we're compassionate towards anybody that's ever gone through that, whether they're being uh, the, the father or the mother uh, as well. So, you know, there's forgiveness for everything, and praise God for his grace. But, but we still have to speak the truth. And so I don't care. Uh, I'm, the way I'm going to vote according to the scriptures, we have basically two sacred cows in this country now, politically and culturally. Abortion, and the other one is sexual immorality of any kind. Anything goes. We've lost all sense of even what a man and a woman is or anything else. And by the way, abortion is directly related to sexual immorality. They're all sexual immorality because you wouldn't need an abortion if you were in a married relationship, which is what God ordained. So, uh, so our country is in a bad place, and it's not going to end well for us if we continue to shake our fist at God and say, I know what your Bible says, but we disagree. We've got a better plan. We don't have a better plan. And so uh, we need to be praying. For our country, amen. It's why we pray for revival, and that's not just things like that. It's obviously it's personal. We talked about the men yesterday. I mean, uh, I said, look, it doesn't matter if it's pornography that people are addicted to. It doesn't matter if it's their career they're addicted to. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever it is. Um, we've got a lot of repenting to do, and uh, it starts in the household of God, amen. That's what the scriptures tell us. So, so we're going to pray, and it, we've got a little bit of a tight room and a lot to cover, so I'm not going to ask you to get on your knees. We did that in the first service. They covered it for you, by the way. They got on their knees and interceded for us, but I am going to ask you to bow your head and pray. And um, uh, I also want to pray for the Samaritan's Purse boxes over here. They go out this week, right? Uh, I don't know where Dory is, but uh, they go out this week, and uh, we had 365, and they added another, like, We've got to be over 400 over there now. So um, over 400 kids around the world, isn't that great, are going to get something for Christmas. We don't, by the way, we've helped single moms in this church. I mean, really helped. Not, not like, like uh, here, here's, here's a $5 gift card. I mean, substantially, like, uh, over the years. And uh, so we're not just talking about, because everyone will throw back in your face you talk about abortion. Well, you don't care about the mothers. I'm like, don't even give me that. Uh, you know, we do care about those things. And so we're going to do whatever we can. And by the way, all those kids around the world, God cares about them as much as the kids in this country, born or unborn. So we're going to pray uh, for that as well. And we're praying for the nation of Gambia, uh, which is a nation in Africa. As we try and pray for one country around the world at a time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning. Uh, Lord, we think about, in your word, I, I think about your servant Daniel, Lord. He uh, wept and fasted uh, for, uh, for his own people. Uh, Nehemiah, Lord, he was brokenhearted over the condition of Jerusalem. Lord Jesus, you looked at Jerusalem and you said uh, how you long to gather Jerusalem, but they are not willing, Lord. How you long to uh, do a restorative work in our nation, but we're 
as a country not willing. Yes, we have individuals that have been saved and are growing, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we don't want to see our neighbors, uh, Lord, spend eternity separated from you. We don't want to see family members, Lord, leave this earth and, and face you at the end of the day, at the end of the uh, time. It, there's a judgment day coming, Lord. So we know that you're a righteous, holy God. We just sang about your holiness. Lord, you are willing to forgive, but you will judge sin. And so, Lord, the sins of our nation are collective, and yet, uh, Lord, even if we're not currently part of them, Lord, you've called us to intercede and to stand in the gap. And so, Lord, we pray, uh, as your servants, Nehemiah, as Daniel, as others did, Lord, we intercede for our country, Lord, those that are in darkness. Uh, Lord, we understand they don't know the right hand from their left hand. So, Lord, we, we're not condemning, Lord, but we are calling upon the name of Jesus to open their eyes to soften. Uh, Lord, we pray that even in the next year, we would see a softening in our country and many people surrendering to Jesus. Uh, another Jesus revolution, another movement of our young people, Lord. So much of this uh, is, um, Lord, people that haven't been raised even understanding one or two of the commandments, much less all ten. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to a country, Lord, that has been running from you for quite some time, Lord, we pray for our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers that don't know you. We pray that even in this season of Thanksgiving coming up and, and Christmas, Lord, you'd give us a chance to be a soft but truthful light to our family members that don't know you. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would bring revival not to our, our country only, but the nation of Gambia there in Africa. We know that you love that nation and the people around the world. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and, the, and what is taking place there, that those in the Palestinians as well as those that are in Israel would come to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray for peace. We pray for protection of innocent lives. Lord, we also pray that these boxes, these shoe boxes that have been full, filled with gifts, been prayed over. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use them to bring smiles, but more importantly, to bring Jesus into the lives of young children all over the world. And we ask, Lord, also that you just protect our brothers and sisters in persecuted lands. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, do your best, guys, in the back to follow along. This is a test run for future days where maybe God's telling me to get rid of the clicker. So anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll pick up with where we left off. Starting in verse 9. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced, practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed uh, Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had... Uh, for as yet they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
And when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought you could... Uh, You thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered, said, Pray the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you that we now have your word, your word, Lord, which is a lamp unto our feet, which is a light unto our path. Lord, your word, which is powerful, and Lord, it cuts to even the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that even now your word would speak in a mighty way, Lord, to those that are watching online, those that are out in the fellowship hall, those that are in this sanctuary, Lord, you would speak to each heart. We would be hearers and doers applying that which you give to us. Lord, I ask for your help. I ask that you'd wash us, you'd cleanse us, you'd empty us, Lord, of anything that would hinder us from hearing uh, from you. Lord, you'd lay aside every distraction. Lord, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be in this room. I pray for your anointing, your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philip had fled the persecution in Jerusalem, and he had gone northwest to the city of Samaria in the region of Samaria. And there in that city, uh, that city that was despised by the Jewish authorities, every bit as much as they despised uh, the early church, Philip preached Christ to all who would listen. And with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, he did miracles, healing Many that were sick and that were lame in the city and casting out demons and casting out unclean spirits. And as we saw in verse 8, the result is there was great joy, an exuberant joy, a citywide celebration of deliverance and healing and forgiveness. Wouldn't it be great to see a citywide uh, work of deliverance, healing, forgiveness, and Richmond, and Chicago, and New York, and Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New Orleans, all these places. But remember Saul, he had not yet become Paul. Saul, he had begun to wreak havoc there in Jerusalem. But what Satan had meant to destroy the church had actually turned out as a means to grow the church. And so we can take heart that, hey, sometimes the very attacks of Satan can actually backfire and God does a greater work. Much of the city there had repented, turning to Jesus And a whole different ethnic group, because the Samaritans were a different ethnic group than the Jewish people, even though they had Jewish blood. They had a whole different community, a whole different ethnic group had come to Christ by what Satan had meant to snuff out. Actually, more people had come to know the Lord. But the work of salvation, so these many that came to the Lord, this work of salvation, it's not simply an experience or just an outward expression. Even physical healing from the apostles, or even Jesus himself. If someone had been physically healed, that doesn't equate to salvation. Do we understand that, right? Jesus healed many people that appeared to never follow him afterwards. They were never born again, as he proclaimed was necessary in John 
chapter 3. If and when a soul is born again, that soul is transformed. That happened to me in June of 1995, same day me and my wife. But that soul is transformed for all eternity by an inward work. You can't see it. It's invisible to humanity. But God sees that inward work. And that inward work is the Holy Spirit. The soul made alive is sealed by the Spirit. It's like the Roman seal. It was official. It was done. And the root of the Spirit, once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have, you have the Spirit taking root in your life. The root of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. The root produces the fruit. And that fruit comes out in our thoughts, in our words, in our motives, in our actions, every facet of our life. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, you guys have all heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So if you ever say, I want to look up Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, you can look it up. And he made it clear that that inward work of God produces what he called good fruit. You've all heard that, right? Produces good fruit. But if there's no change, he said it produces bad fruit. Does anyone like to eat bad fruit? No. You know when you, re you we have a produce drawer that sometimes <laughs> a piece of fruit gets overlooked. And I'm like, how is this in here? It's like a, you barely touch it and it disintegrates. <laughs> but good fruit is only possible when we have the Spirit of God living within us. It's only the Spirit of God that produces good fruit. Our flesh is incapable of producing good fruit. And we'll see here in our text this morning, anything other than being born again is in fact a counterfeit. If you're taking notes, you see the title on the screen, The Evident Work of the Holy Spirit. Philip, go back to Philip the Evangelist, uh, one of the deacons. He had the blessing of seeing so many souls that were converted and made new there in Samaria. Uh, but when it comes to the work of salvation... Yes, there is an initial change that we, that we typically see. But the real evidence of somebody being saved, the real evidence of salvation, is in the long-term view. Anyone here ever had surgery before? I've had two. I had one on my knee, one on my neck. Uh, the neck was way worse than the knee one. Uh, but many types of surgery are not proven to be successful. And you know this if you've had some surgery. You don't know if they're successful until months Weeks, sometimes a couple of years later, you find out it wasn't successful. Or you find out, hey, it really was successful. Matter of fact, uh, my, my doctor told me, that you're gonna, I'm going to have to do one more surgery on your neck probably within five years. Well, that was like uh, 14 years ago. So it was more successful than he thought it would be. And that's a praise. But time tells us if something is really did it really work? Did it take root? Did it uh, have the impact? When Jesus does surgery on a heart, it has a lasting impact. It has an eternal impact. A dog returns to its vomit, the scripture says. Pigs return to the slop. Those of you from the farm, you know how this works, right? I've mentioned this numerous times, but Billy Graham, you know, he preached all over the world, Reverend Billy Graham, massive stadiums, in South Korea, I think he did over a million people gathered in one setting. I think it was the largest evangelistic outreach in, in history. 
But, you know, he spoke all kinds of places. He filled up the, the Los Angeles Coliseum. I mean, all over the world, he got to speak these massive groups. And I, I'd be petrified to speak to a group that large. But God gave him the anointing to do it and actually brought people out. And it couldn't have been anything but the Lord. But they asked Reverend Graham about all these thousands of people that came down the aisles over the, uh, the many years that he had preached the gospel all over the world. And they asked him, uh, do you think every single one of those people got saved? And his answer was rather succinct. He said, time will tell. Time will tell. A one-time action does not reveal if a person has really repented and fully put their trust in Christ. How many of you know someone that you saw them walk an aisle and then three weeks later they would never walk in the church ever again? I, I know people like that. that, that man, I, I, thought, I thought this was authentic and then straight back out in the world they go. Uh, David Wilkerson said for years disciples have to want to be discipled. You can't force a person to be discipled. You can't force them to say a sinner's prayer. You can't force them to stay in the Lord. It has to be an inward work. And only time bears that out at times. The same Sermon on the Mount uh, that I mentioned there in the book of Matthew uh, a few minutes ago, Jesus said this. You guys can pop it up. Maybe I'll do it like this. I'll point to you guys. You'll know when I need you. Yeah. <laughs> you are my human clickers over there. So, uh, so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 20 through 22, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many, hard to believe he says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is what we see on the streets of America. Lawlessness. Where was it? It's a, it's a pre-Christmas miracle. Here we go. Uh, it's so good to have it back. You know. <laughs> Do any of you have little things that just, when they're in place, you feel in place? You know, that kind of thing. I, I actually do pretty good with, okay, with things that are out of place. But nevertheless, it's good to have it back. But it, um, Even great religious exploits don't equate to being born again. Do we understand this, right? Whether you and I realize it, probably in our lifetime, we've watched some quote-unquote Christian leaders that may not even be saved on TV or some ministry, especially when they're saying, hey, send in millions of dollars. That's a red flag to me. But, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of things that you'll see. And uh, ministries have been done that are as fault. I mean, G Judas was one of the twelve. And Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. None of the 11 could even tell Judas was not one of them. That's pretty, that's, that's always made me comforting. That's always covered me as a pastor because as human beings, we could, we could misjudge and put someone in a place and we had all the right intentions and still get it wrong. Jesus didn't get it wrong. He knew all along where Judas was at. But we can actually make a mistake and misjudge someone's character and get burned by it, Right? But Jesus said, don't worry about it. At the end, the tares and the wheat are going to get sifted out by God, right? He's going to pull up which is which. So many are going to be shocked that um, religion alone, or even doing things in the name of Jesus. There's, a, there's a, uh, many cults that do things in the name of Jesus, but they had the wrong Jesus. 
and they didn't have the right relationship. Jesus said in John uh, 2.24, but Jesus did not commit, or actually John writes it about Jesus, Jesus didn't say it, but, but John writes that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. In other words, there was times where Jesus did not commit himself because he knew that the individual themselves hadn't really come to him in saving faith. They really had not surrendered. So uh, not only do we come to him, but he comes to us. Jesus sees the heart. He knows the heart. Uh, he knows whose hearts have been changed. But believing things about Jesus, and uh, we're coming up on the Christmas season, a lot of people say, yeah, I believe there was a Joseph, I believe there was a Mary, I believe there was a donkey. But believing things about Jesus is not the same as believing in and on Jesus. Does that make sense? You can believe in the nativity, but don't have him as your Lord and Savior. And desiring things from Jesus is not the same as desiring a relationship with Jesus. A lot of people say, well, if Jesus would give me a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend... In America, lots of other things. But anyway, if he would give me a new house or a better car or a good job. But he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. And knowing you have some sin, because most, most people you can get them to admit, yeah, once I told a lie. Once, you're lying a lot right now. <laughs> right? Knowing that you have some sin is not the same as truly wanting to be delivered and forgiven from all your sin. Amen? There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm, nobody's perfect. You think that's going to help you on judgment? Well, nobody's perfect. No, you have to want to be delivered from sin, forgiven from sin. doesn't mean you're sinless in this lifetime, but, but God is the one that delivers and forgives. And it tells us in Psalm 51, 17... A broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. By the way, even when you have a broken and contrite heart, Paul had that, and he still recognized, O oh, wretched man that I am. Not was, am. You ever having your best moment with God, and you'll have a random thought like, why am I, I'm, you're, I'm, you're close in with God, and you start thinking about an errand you need to run. Because our nature is still there, right? God will never refuse a humbled heart, but many a heart has refused to humble itself. Does that make sense? God will never refuse a humble heart, but many a heart has refused to humble itself. Uh, for the first 25 years of my life, I refused to humble myself. And humbling ourselves is essential for repentance and turning from self to the Savior. This is America's biggest problem. We worship self. I'm not a woman, but my body doesn't belong to me. Jesus said, we are bought with a price. Your body's no longer your own, but it belongs to the Lord. That's what it says in the New Testament, that nothing about us belongs. We, we've been purchased by the Lord. With these truths in mind, back to verses 9 through 13. I'm not going to reread verses 9 through 13 just for the sake of time, but, uh, but we read the whole text from the beginning. Uh, in verses 9 through 13, among the many people that heard the message of Christ there in Samaria and appeared to have believed 
and have put their faith in Christ, there was one notable individual that Luke feels led by the Spirit to tell us about. And he tells us this individual's name was Simon. The same name that Peter has before he, you know, he's Simon Peter. But Luke tells us that this Simon there in Samaria was a sorcerer. Any of you know any sorcerers? I do not. But uh, uh, this, was, this was common in the ancient times. When you see sorcery in your Bible, in the scriptures, when you see the word sorcery, sorcery is always, every single time in the scriptures, it is associated with the occult, with witchcraft, with divination, with magical practices, and drug use was very common with sorcery. If you've seen like witch doctors, if you've seen shamans, if you've seen uh, a lot of times there are certain drugs or hallucinogens and things that are part of the occultic practice itself. Uh, now, in our country, uh, I know for a fact witchcraft is growing again. We have people that are getting into this and are getting into occultic things. Uh, I'm not all that familiar with it because I don't go anywhere near it, but I have talked, to, I've witnessed to people that are into those things, and I've tried to present Christ to them because it's the only thing that's going to break through. But all of these things, and we see that uh, Satan wants to bring people into the bonds of these things, uh, the specific wording that Luke uses about uh, Simon the sorcerer also indicates that Simon was a magi, and we understand when you get Christmas season, you have the magi that are coming from the east, and they're on the camels, camels they're bringing all these treasures. The magi also were incredibly knowledgeable with astronomy and science. Now, astronomy is, there's nothing wrong with astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the stars and physics, and NASA uses astronomy to map out you know, how we're going to put uh, things in orbit and all that stuff. Astrology also starts with an A and also deals with the stars. It's actually an occultic way of using the stars to map out life. And they had, they had sacrifices to different stars and moons and goddesses and gods and all that stuff. So astronomy, the science part, astrology, the occultic part. And Simon the sorcerer was probably pretty proficient in both. In other words, he was into astrology, but also he was very uh, probably knowledgeable about the stars and the scientific part of it as well. So a very learned man. But knowledge of the stars and solar system uh, heavily used in astrology, it, just in a different way. At any rate, uh, this man was renowned in Samaria. Uh, Luke tells us he was renowned uh, for his, his knowledge, his power. He had great influence over the people. He was greatly esteemed by all the people, said from the least to the greatest, uh, to the mayor of the city, the mayor, anybody in the city looked to him as the most important person, the most knowledgeable person. And by the way, he, he amazed them with his own, uh, with his own signs, <coughs> just like the magicians in Egypt. Remember, Moses had to confront Pharaoh's magicians. And Pharaoh's magicians could do some things. They, they, had, they had a little bit of David Copperfield ability and themselves, and uh, they could do some things. And, but Satan can give, let's understand, Satan is a powerful being. He was created uh, one of the highest beings that God had ever created in the angelic world. Satan does have some measure 
for a season until he is cast into the lake of fire. He has some measure of power, and he can give people some measure of power and persuasion and the ability to deceive. And some people are really gifted at deception. Have you ever noticed that? Some of you are, you're one of the best liars. I, I'm watching TV, and I say, I see some, uh, I'm not going to name names, but I see some, and I, I see, I'm like, wow, you can do this with a straight face. But he can give men and women power, persuasion, position, even popularity, wealth. But whatever power he can display, so Simon could do some signs of sorcery, some things that amaze people, something that looked like miracles, whatever he could do, it would pale in comparison to what God can do and did do through Philip, but as he had done through the prophets in the Old Testament. I have never seen a sorcerer part the Red Sea. Have you? Moses did. I mean, Moses didn't do it. God did it, but I mean, Moses put the staff out. The... I mean, you look at some of the miracles in the Bible, no sorcerer you've ever will see in history has raised anyone from the dead. But Peter did. Some of the apostles did after Jesus had done it. So uh, there's been some amazing things that God has done. Anything that uh, Satan can do as a counterfeit. By the way, Satan has to counterfeit thing to deceive people, right? The whole reason you have a counterfeit anything is for deception. There has to be a level of counterfeiting, which Satan tries to do. He tries to counterfeit religion. You don't really need Jesus. You just need something like Jesus. But it pales in comparison to what God can actually do. Now, the people, they were amazed by Simon. Um, but he was also fairly impressed with himself. It says, uh, not only were they amazed by him, uh, but it says that um, uh, this man claimed to be someone great. If you didn't recognize him as great, he would help you understand how great he was. <laughs> this sounds like some of our politicians, right? You know, you're watching a debate. Like, now I understand how great, because you've told me, but he had, he had a great... Uh, estimation of himself, thought highly of himself. Uh, he claimed to be someone great. Satan, I think you would all agree, he's the father of pride. Satan is very pompous, arrogant. And he gives some power to people that are like-minded as him, very pompous, very arrogant. The Antichrist, when he finally comes on the scene, and someday he will come on the scene, I plan to be with Jesus when that happens. But when the Antichrist finally comes on scene, he is going to be the most pompous, arrogant leader the world has ever seen. And that's saying something, because we've had some really pompous, arrogant leaders. But he's going to be the most pompous, arrogant leader the world has ever seen. And you know what's interesting? The world's going to love his ego. They're not going to hate it. Like right now, people have, I hate this guy's ego, but I like this person's ego. They're all, anyone that's lost will love his ego and his pompous, arrogant style. But the people heeded Simon. They, they listened to him. They, if he said, no, we should do it this way, they would do it that way. Eh, eh, let's tweak the law. They would, whatever he came up with, the people heeded. It says, Luke says, they heeded him. He was the voice of reason to them in any situation. He was the wise man in the city. They heeded him until Christ was preached. When Christ was preached, and Philip then began teaching the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit convicted hearts, 
through the Holy Spirit, Philip, as we know, as I mentioned already, he healed people. He did these mighty signs, including God had given Philip authority to cast out demonic spirits. By the way, the demonic spirits were part of the sorcery. So he was casting out the very connection he had, his sorcery, to the demonic spirit. They were cast out of the city, and he could see it. Jesus would go in and clean house. Do what he literally like people's people's bodies, but also he'd go to the city, and all of a sudden demonic spirits would tremble when Jesus would come around. So there, there's an authoritative difference when God steps in, and so all these demonic spirits were cast out. Many believed and were baptized. Many were converted, and they no longer followed sorcery. They were no longer controlled by demons, but they followed the Savior. And Simon also appeared to believe. It tells us that Simon himself believed, and he was baptized and continued with Philip. He was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So Simon appears to believe. He even stays close by Philip. Hey, Philip, can I hang out with you and watch how you do this? Okay. You're welcome to hang around. And he does. But Luke tells us it was the miracles not the preaching of Jesus that attracted him. You notice that? He said he was amazed uh, that the signs and uh, miracles, he was amazed at it. That's what attracted him. It was not the actual word of God. It wasn't the teaching. It was the miracles. In verse 14, word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Uh, it says, when the apostles were in Jerusalem, that they heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So word gets back to the 12 apostles. Remember, the 12 apostles... Uh, we're given a measure of grace, we're given a measure of courage. For whatever reason, even though the, Saul was wreaking havoc, he, uh, there seems to be some hedge of protection that they stayed in Jerusalem. And word gets back to them of uh, what has taken place, that Philip has fled Jerusalem. Many have come to Christ. The whole city has repented. And so the apostles decide that Peter and John of the twelve should go down. And what appears to be the apostles being sent as emissaries from God to welcome the Samaritans into the family of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That they were to say, they were to say we welcome you into the family of God. Jerusalem and Samaria had no contact with each other. This would be like the equivalent of God, a bunch of people in Gaza all getting saved and a revival that had taken place earlier in Jerusalem and all of them coming together. Someday that's going to happen, by the way. It's in the future. Now this is noteworthy to welcome them because the Jewish leaders, the high priest and, and the Jewish leadership, uh, considered the Samaritans to be half Jews. And if you were half Jew in their mind, you were no Jew at all. And they hated the Samaritans. They refused to welcome them into the family of Israel, into the, into the nation of Israel. But through the apostles, these souls are then welcomed into the family, and kingdom of God. And by the way, when he's preaching Christ, he's preaching the heavenly kingdom that's going to come down, that's going to be made up of all tongues, tribes, and nations. In verse 15 through 17, it goes on uh, to tell us there, uh, when they come down, when they come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then they laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit. 
this passage, these three verses I just read, there has been plenty of disagreement over the last 2,000 years of exactly what Luke is recording here. You might have heard, different denominations will preach this differently. Different people have different opinions, uh, perspectives. Some can be, by the way, there's a range of perspectives that are not false doctrines, that are just different perspectives. Then there's things that are actually false doctrines, and they're different. You can have a different perspective on something, and it's just something that God's going to say, when you get to heaven, I'll show you whose perspective was actually most accurate. I mean, there's some things that are really hard to decipher sometimes uh, that God has done down through the ages. Some maintain, uh, says so some different views here, some maintain that the Samaritans were not truly saved when Peter and John arrived. They, they had... Uh, their eyes have been opened. They had not truly believed and fully received the Lord by faith. Some say that they were saved, but that God had withheld the sealing or giving of the Holy Spirit until the apostles came and laid hands on Then they were already saved, but then the Holy Spirit was given to them. And others believe that they already were saved. They already had the seal of the Holy Spirit on the inward, but that this was the Holy Spirit coming upon a second work of the Spirit. Notice that it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. Remember the apostles, they were saved at Pentecost when the Spirit fell. They were already saved. They, Jesus already breathed the Spirit upon them. They had already received the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, but they had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in that overflow work, that drenching of the Spirit. And, uh, and that's where I land. I, I, I tend to believe that they were already saved, they'd already received the Spirit, but that they were going to get the overflow work, the immersion of the Spirit. Understand that Philip, he's going to be leaving Samaria really soon. He is the original evangelist. He's now the pastor. He's now the dishwasher, bottle washer, everything. He's everything. Philip is kind of like lead of everything that's taking place in this brand new church that's established there in Samaria. But he's going to be leaving soon. God's like... You don't know this yet, but Philip, I've got other plans for him, so he's not even going to be staying that long. This um, may very well have been, because Philip leaving soon, and even the apostles are all going to come for a short period of time, a strengthening for the entire group, a strengthening for the whole group, much like what took place in Acts chapter 2, where everyone there was strengthened at the same time. But unlike Pentecost, on Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, where all of that happened on the very same day, salvation the receiving of the Spirit and the overflow work of the Holy Spirit all happen on the exact same day. But, by the way, God doesn't always do these on the exact same time schedule. Do we understand that? Now, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, yes, everyone saved receives the Spirit, but there can be a later time when there's this outpouring of the Spirit. Sometimes it's through laying on hands. Sometimes it can happen where God doesn't use anyone laying on hands. It can just D.L. Moody said he was just walking down the street in New York City and he felt the Spirit finally immerse him. And he had already been doing great things for God before that. After that, he preached to ten times more people than he ever did prior to that. I hope that makes sense to you. But when Peter and John came down, uh, I put three things that I think could, uh, well, definitely the first two I know were accomplished, uh, but I think the third is, is very uh, possible, if not probable as well. Number one, Peter and John coming down, Jesus sending Peter and John through the Spirit, they would come to the ostracized Samaritans and welcome them into the family of God, formally welcome them into 
the family, which would be opposite of anything they'd ever get from the high priest, which say, don't even step foot in Jerusalem uh, because you guys are worse than dogs. If you're a dog lover, sorry about that. But the Bible never says great things about dogs. I'm just, just to burst your bubble there. Uh, number two, uh, the whole body of believers being a, empowered by the anointing. So the whole body, hey, Samaria, you've been on the outside looking in for centuries. Centuries you've been on the outside looking in. We're going to anoint, we're going to come down and lay hands. This is Peter and John. We're going to lay hands on everybody, and this whole little city is going to become a microcosm of what God could do in any Gentile city anywhere in the world. Hopefully that makes sense to you. And then the third, uh, these new leaders uh, are going to need to be raised up because Philip's leaving quickly. He doesn't know yet. He's going to go meet the Ethiopian eunuch any day now, right? And he's going to be out of there, and the apostles are going to leave. They're going to need leaders to be anointed, and so I think very likely God accelerates the timeline. And he's done this. Charles Spurgeon, by the way, it, you, you should not normally make an 18-year-old your pastor. You shouldn't. But every now and then, there's a Timothy, there's a Charles Spurgeon. Every now and then, there is an exception to the rule. Uh, you probably shouldn't, in most cases, make an 80-year-old man your pastor. But Moses breaks the rule and lives to be 120. That's not the norm either. So God can accelerate or decelerate. But there's times where he says, Pastor Chuck Smith saw this, where in the Jesus movement, he had guys like Greg Laurie get saved from like doing drugs and are preaching to hundreds of people within weeks. That's not the norm, but it can happen. Does that make sense? And so God may have accelerated things here as well. Understand that the book of Acts is a genesis. Uh, it's a beginning. The book of Acts is a beginning of the early church. It's the genesis. It's the starting point. Uh, it's the account of the early church. And as God did unique things in the book of Genesis in the early Days, whether it was the origination of creating the world all the way through uh, Noah and Abraham, the creation of Israel, we see a number of unique works of the Spirit within the early church, and especially during the lives of the apostles, very unique things. And that's why I caution you when you see ministries that actually take the most unique things in the Bible and say, this is what you're going to see every single Sunday here, you might want to run the other direction. Um, we don't see the Spirit coming into this building as a mighty wind. I have never seen all of a sudden a wind come in and blow the wreaths off the door, blow everything off, blow your hair up in the air and everything else, and, all the, and fire also rest upon the top of your head. But that happened on Pentecost, didn't it? It was very unique, but it did happen at Pentecost. Uh, we see um, in the book of Acts, we see these mighty miracles uh, that the apostles did. Uh, it's not something I've ever seen where someone's shadow heals people, like Peter just walking by. His shadow is healing people. We definitely don't see, often, or ever, have we seen God strike dead two hypocritical believers. If that happened, the church would be wiped out in America, right? Uh, Ananias' fire would be by the thousands. And thank the Lord he hasn't done that. But he, but he did unique things to show us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what that, that was the whole point. That he was the same God as the Old Testament miracles that he did some in the New Testament to validate the ministry of the apostles. Verses 18 and 19, it appears that um, Simon 
Saul through the laying on hands, uh, he, he saw that they had great uh, power when they laid on hands on the people, and he offered them money. This is never a good idea, by the way. You, don't, you definitely don't want to call up Peter and John and say, hey, how can I pay for a big part of your ministry? It's not a good idea. Remember, they had already said silver and gold, we have none. They didn't, that was not their driving motivation. It was part of Simon's. Uh, but he sees that um, through the laying on of hands, this uh, is taking place, uh, these, uh, this manifestation of the Spirit. And, and everyone had received it with a humble and receptive heart, all except for Simon, who was less interested in what God had done. He was more interested in what the apostles had. He wanted what they had. He wanted the power that he saw that God had given them. He wanted in his mind, now they, they weren't men that were seeking prestige, but he saw what they had and thought of it as prestige, and he wanted the prestige, he wanted the position, he wanted to carve for himself, he wanted to say, if I had this, this is what I could do with it. Uh, his motives really hadn't changed at all from what he was when Philip had first walked into Samaria. William MacDonald, he puts it this way about Simon, he says, he was a professor, not a possessor. He professed Christ, but did not possess Christ. And you're, you're going to meet people in your lifetime that um, profess. And I've met people like this. I'm like, um, I just hung out with you for an hour, and I heard you curse like 35 times. I heard you tell me about 10 sinful things that you did over the weekend, and then you told me you're a believer. And I'm not saying this out loud. I'm just thinking it through. I'm like, I'm doing some fruit inspection here, and I'm not seeing a good connection. You ever done that? But, you know, God gives opportunities to have the discussions at some time. But he, Simon didn't possess real faith because it wasn't Christ he desired. It was a name. It was a position. It was a title. It was power. All the things he had before when Philip walked in the city, he wanted to rebuild them, but under the auspices of Christianity. This is how false religions are built, by the way. We'll just reset it up under Jesus. True believers, well, let's notice Peter's response here. Peter says this, your money perish with you. That's not real kind, Peter. Uh, uh, you thought you, because you thought you could, uh, that the gift of God could be purchased with money, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. Now, I'm not going to reread them, but I if you read through these, I've itemized up on the screen Peter's response. I put it in five different categories here. Number one, he says, your money perish with you. Uh, true believers, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not, what? Not perish. That's not a term that's used for believers. We don't perish. Jesus said in John eleven twenty six 26, that those who come to faith in him would never die. It's talking about, obviously, the soul the spirit of those that have been redeemed. But it's not a language that's used for the, for the saved, but it is a language used for the lost. So according to the way Luke words this, we, and what Peter said, um, Peter's response leads us to believe that Peter could still consider him to be in a lost condition. Number two, you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Uh, you cannot buy indulgences, folks. You cannot pay the priest or the Catholic Church or anything else. Uh, you can't. Pay your way into anything, not salvation, uh, but nothing, not salvation, not the work of the Spirit. Nothing from God can be purchased. Jesus purchased it for us by his blood, which we're going to commemorate in just a moment 
with the Lord's Supper. Uh, number three, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. Uh, what Peter is saying is you're not part of the fellowship. You've not been brought into the family of God. You have no part. You have no inheritance is the way the Bible puts it, right? You have no part or portion. You have no inheritance. You've not yet been grafted in. Number four, your heart is not right inside of God. You still have a heart of unbelief. And then lastly, you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Uh, you're, you're still in bondage to sin. And by the way, I, I, this is my own personal observation, but I think his bitterness was based on the fact that he was the most respected guy in town, had the most profitable sorcery business, and then along comes of work of salvation, nobody is looking at him as the most important guy in town. Now they're looking at Jesus as the Lord of their life, and they're not looking to him for wisdom, and that would cause some bitterness. My prestige is taking a hit here. I need to rebuild it under the same kind of, make me the 13th apostle. And then maybe I would, so there's a bitterness that could be there. That's just, again, I, I don't know that for certain, but that's kind of my... Uh, kind of assessment of it. But verse 24, and then we'll wrap it up with these last two verses. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken would come upon me. Uh, now rather than pray and repent, Simon asked Peter to be his go-between. I've had people tell me this. I, I, I've really, I, I've, I remember being in the prison systems, I'm talking to guys and say, hey, you know, would you like to come? No, but hey, if you could pray this week for me. I, I can pray for you, but I can't be your savior. You're going to have to repent personally. It's not a priest in between. It's Jesus who is the mediator. Sadly, so many people resist coming to Christ personally, uh, and they have to come personally. They have to repent and ask for their own forgiveness. And many other people just keep putting it off. Well, I'll do it, I'll do it one year. They put it off, put it off, put it off. Last verse, verse 25, we understand here that when they testified, they being Peter and John, they preached the word of the Lord, and they returned to Jerusalem, they preached the gospel in many villages. Before leaving Samaria, the apostles, they take the time to testify of what the ministry of God or Christ had done in their life. They preached the word, they preached more of the doctrines of Jesus, they take more time with the people. But then as they head back to Jerusalem, they go and preach the gospel. They hit as many Samaritan villages as they possibly can. And see, the evident work of the Spirit was first in the apostles coming to welcome the believers, then in their preaching and teaching to the believers, and in their returning to Jerusalem, and they're inviting others to, to know Jesus as they head back to Jerusalem. We could see the evident work in Philip. We could see the evident work in Peter and John. We could see the evident work in the rest of the people. As we call those, how about us? Is there the evident work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Is there evident work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you been born again? Like you've been given new desires. I'm not talking about the fact that you, you still have things that you have to kind of keep turning over the Lord, but you now have a desire to grow in Jesus. Have you been sealed by the Holy Spirit? You know that you've been transformed and changed. Are you now walking in the Spirit? Are you yielded to the Holy Spirit in your life and, and directed like the apostles were with his plan for your life. You, you, don't, you don't even worry about, you're not trying to create a plan anymore. You're following one. Is the fruit of the Spirit flowing in your life? Is he training your tongue? What to say? Is it the law of kindness coming out? Is there more love? Is there more faith? Is there more compassion for the lost? Is there more of a desire for being a disciple and making disciples and being in discipleship? If these things are not happening, you say, Lord, 
either I don't know you yet or I've become dry. And it's time to, as Jesus said, return to your first love. Amen? And we're going to be taking a Lord's Supper in just a moment. I'm going to invite the worship team up. But as you just bow your heads for just a moment before they come up, and I'll be reading from a passage where we take these elements together, and they're going to play a beautiful worship song in just a moment. You can just sing along with. But, but as your heads are bowed, I, I just want to take the opportunity, you know, Jesus died for the sorcerers of the world. Jesus died for the women at the well. He died for the thief on the cross. He died for the person that has a lot of money, the person that doesn't have any money, the person that is violent, the person that's just kind of doing their own thing. But he came for each and every soul. And if you're in this room, I don't want to take for granted that everybody here has already given their life to Christ. You might have heard the gospel thousands of times, but you say, you know, I don't think I've ever truly surrendered to Jesus, to him to be the Lord of my life, and truly just want to say, Lord, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, save me. If that's you in this room, just as our heads bowed, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one person, I, I have no idea where each heart is. Only Jesus can see that. He can. I can see fruit, but even that can be we might have all thought Judas was saved, and he was not. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. If you, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I don't want to put it off. I don't want to wait till Christmas. I don't want to wait another day. I want to give my life to the Lord. If there's anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you, pray for you, lead you in a prayer. If you know the Lord, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, this this taking in communion is for believers, so we don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. We want to do it with... As best we can, Lord, no known sin. So just take this moment and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. You're not, you don't have to be resaved. It's a work of sanctification. Jesus is our mediator. So we want to take the time to say, Lord, I'm just laying myself and anything else and just take this time to do that. Uh, Mark and the team is going to lead us in a worship song, and then we'll take these elements together.